0: This is the Pittsburgh City Cast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers.
2: Today's Pittsburgh City Cast, in part at least, emanates from Boston. It's Mike Persuda and Tim Benz. Glad you're with us. Download the Bet Rivers app today or go to BetRivers.com as we get set for the Frozen Four Thursday night. Denver and Michigan, Minnesota and Minnesota State. We're all over it. Mike already out in Boston. I will be joining him on Thursday evening for the semifinals and the championship on Saturday. We're going to dive into that. Lots of Penguin conversation, some football and baseball as well. Speaking of baseball, go to our MLB boosted bets, including Dinger Dollars. Any of these two to hit 40 home runs in the 22 regular season. Bryce Harper, Nolan Arenado, Shohei Itani, or Ronald Acuna Jr. That was plus 225, now it's up to 250. How about a golf boosted bet? I the Tiger bet. Tiger Woods to finish top 10 at the Masters was plus 350, now plus 400. Log into betrivers.com and place a $25 single pre tournament wager on any golfer to win the Masters and get $1 towards a free bet for each birdie and $2 towards a free bet for each eagle or better made. Mike, Getting set to take the town on in Boston in advance of a big weekend. Trivia beat me out there. Are you ready to go?
1: Oh, Tim, I couldn't be uh, more ready. We got a great field. You know, uh, it was it was blue bloods all over the place in the basketball and pretty similar in the hockey. Uh, Michigan, Denver, Minnesota, and Minnesota State. Now, Minnesota State has never won a championship. Uh, it's a relative newcomer. But Denver's most recent title was in 2017, Minnesota's was in 2003, and Michigan's was in 1998, and uh, those were not uh, the only titles that those schools have won. Uh, A combined 22 national championships between Michigan's nine, Denver's eight, and Minnesota's five. Uh, You've also got four teams here that have combined for 67 Frozen Four appearances all time that ties for the most of any Frozen Four in history, uh, ties the 2014 field. Uh, those uh, championships that I refer- referenced, 22 national championships, that's the most ever in a Frozen Four. So uh, it doesn't get more blue blood on the blue line than what we've got here this weekend in Boston, Tim.
2: Honest story, I'm up in Syracuse on Tuesday morning, and uh, I'm meeting with my old news director from my college radio station who just got a promotion and – Uh, We're catching up over coffee. It's about nine o'clock in the morning, and I'm talking to him about where my next stop is going to Boston. I'm going to the Frozen Four, and this voice chimes in from behind me. You got tickets to that? And I turn around, I look, and it's, I don't know, some 19, 18-year-old girl who tells me she's on a college tour. She says, I'm going to Boston University next. I wanted to go this weekend, but it was too expensive. And I said, well, you should see the seats that we got. They're really expensive. And then her face sunk a little bit. I don't know if I should have said that or not. But she was very excited about the Frozen Four, so it's not just us.
1: Actually, what you should have told her was just get on the Bet Rivers app and (laughs) bet some overs this weekend and pay for your trip. Tim, when I was giving you all those uh, grandiose statistics Uh about Frozen Four appearances and and national championship banners hoisted, did I neglect to tell you that we have not one, not two, not three – but four of the top four scoring teams in the NCAA. Oh, offense wins championships, baby.
2: So that counteracts then the defense of Minnesota State and Dryden McKay and Nett.
1: You might say I'm betting on it.
2: <laughs> so these really are the top four scoring teams in college hockey then, huh? Uh,
1: yeah, I think um, it's the top three and then there's a tie for fourth. But uh, it's, uh, you know... Uh, Particularly Michigan, I think Michigan drives the overtrain here more than anybody else because uh, if people have a casual interest in college hockey, they might be aware that Michigan has seven first-round draft picks on its roster. And Michigan had a bunch of guys in the Olympics. And Michigan has tremendous talent. And, Tim, Michigan likes to play with its tremendous talent. It does not like to take its tremendous talent and see how well it can play structured, think defense versus hockey. And the goaltending, well, here's the state of the Michigan goaltending. When our Robert Morris Colonials uh, folded their program Mm -hmm. temporarily, thank God, uh, Noah West, the goalie for the Colonials, found his way to Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's one of the three guys on the Michigan roster in net. Now, he doesn't play a whole lot, but what does that tell you about Michigan's goaltending? Not exactly Marty Turco, Tim, waiting uh, in case the defense screws up, which it will, because Michigan's going to play pedal down, uh, let's go uh, Let's go play, let's go pass, let's go shoot, let's go score hockey.
2: So over six and a half doesn't scare you then for this first game, huh?
1: It does not. I, I want to see if there's a Bet Rivers bet boost that they cover that by the 10-minute uh, mark of the second period.
2: The under's paying out at plus money at 105. The over is at 137. Interesting, the uh, Minnesota State-Minnesota game, the under is all the way down at five. Obviously, they're looking at Minnesota State and Dryden McKay. Uh, the under paying out at plus 107, the over for that one at 139 because they've got the line set uh, as low as they do, I suppose. But, uh, boy, you've mentioned it before about McKay. when well, We've talked about it. There have been some times, sort of like lake lately, for as good as he is, on occasion he'll leak just enough in to help you pay off your bet.
1: Yeah, he's been he's been great. He's one of the finalists for the Hobie Baker Award, college hockey's version of the Heisman Trophy, um, along with uh, Bobby Brink from Denver and Ben Myers from Minnesota. Myers, by the way, uh, you know, I mentioned Michigan has seven first-rounders. There's a bunch of uh, NHL draft picks in this tournament. Myers is an undrafted guy who will probably be the most sought-after, undrafted college free agent once this weekend wraps up. Um, it's It's interesting the way the NHL does it, those – entry-level salaries are capped, so you can't get in a bidding war. Um, you know, the kid's going to make what he makes, and then he's going to basically decide where he wants to go. And uh, I've seen a lot of speculation in the media that that's going to be the Minnesota Wild because he's a Minnesota kid. But uh, he, he's an outstanding player. Dryden McKay. Occasionally you, you get to Dryden McKay. The other end is Minnesota is down to its backup goalie because the starter – Jack LaFontaine signed with Carolina at mid-season, The season He was the Hurricanes draft pick, and they had uh, trouble finding enough healthy goalies. That they actually needed to dress him a couple times and start him once in the NHL this year. So he left mid-season. Turns out he left a, a Final Four program that was uh, a, a contender for the national championship. But I, I think the, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say Minnesota has terrible goaltending because LaFontaine's not there, but it's not as good as it could have been so I'm, I'm gonna bet that that counteracts uh, the brilliance of Dryden McKay.
2: Better value, do you think? Denver at plus one thirty two to win or Michigan at minus one and a half at plus one sixty on the puck line.
1: Yeah. Uh, did I mention I like the over? <laughs> we can just stick with that and go hard on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I should probably, I should probably recuse myself. From deciding whether or not Michigan's going to win, because, hey, let's let's be honest. I uh, The University of Michigan is my enemy, and I hate them with every fiber of my being. Let's go so Pioneers. I'm going to be rooting hard for Denver. I, I will say this. Michigan is the most talented team here. Um, Denver is has had a lot of success, uh, you know, even going back to uh, winning back-to-back titles. and I think it was 2003, 2004, 2004, 2005. Uh, Denver's a, a regular participant, eight all-time national championships. It's, it's a college hockey factory. Um, Minnesota State has uh, the best goaltender in McKay and the guy who I think is the best player in the whole thing, Nathan Smith. And Minnesota's Minnesota. So I, I really um, – it, it's a tough call who's going to win, who's going to lose. Uh, that's why I think I'm more focused, uh, in all honesty, on style of game. Now, sometimes these games, you know, people are tight in a national semifinal or national championship game you don't want to make that early mistake that kind of dictates the pace of the game but in all three of these games that we're going to see tim i think somebody's going to score eventually and then off we go
2: the future is michigan plus 175 minnesota state plus 225 minnesota plus 375 denver plus 400 that's exactly where it was when we spoke last week your opinion still the same there
1: yeah, I I, I I haven't changed anything. They didn't play, so why would it change?
2: <laughs> yeah, hey, I don't know. It changes on the draft with people all the time but for months in between when they don't play. So I don't know if you read anything, saw anything, you know, had some sort of epiphany, but Michigan clearly still the best team. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Michigan against Minnesota State to see the style matchup in the final, although that would be, probably be a nightmare for you to see Michigan hoist the championship.
1: Well, I've been doing this. This is my 23rd Frozen Four and this will be the fifth time that I've uh, seen the Wolverines here. And in the first four, they only made the championship game once, and they lost that. It was a huge upset. Minnesota-Duluth Minnesota beat them one nothing in St. Paul, Minnesota. Nobody's going to have that home ice working against Michigan this time. Um, best team, I don't know. Most talented, Definitely.
2: Mike Prasuda, Tim Benz with you. Again, we'll be covering the Frozen Four, and we'll wrap it up when we get onto the podcast next week. But, uh, Mike, let's switch gears right now to the NHL. You mentioned styles of game. What do you think about the style of the game for Colorado and the Pens with the Avs winning 6-4? Was that a game where the Pens maybe aren't victimized by their own mistakes as much if it's a lesser team, uh, if it's anybody besides the Avs, or was that just a poor game regardless of who they played?
1: Yeah, I don't know. My hot take from that, Tim, uh, it, was, it was well into the third period, and the Penguins had two goals, and uh, one of those was put into the net by Colorado. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had a bunch of shots and a bunch of looks in the game in Denver, and they did not score with uh, great regularity. I, I can kind of see this coming, as we've seen in recent playoff seasons. You know, when it gets tougher to score for whatever reason, teams are more committed defensively or you don't get as many power play opportunities. And, you know, it's harder to get to the net and harder to get the looks you get in the regular season. I did, the Penguins, for all their, you know, star power reputation, I don't know that, that they've got the firepower they used to have. And I can kind of see another first round uh, evolving where they have a hard time scoring and they don't defend well enough uh, to, to play the kind of hockey you have to play in the postseason. They're a bad half-court defensive team, and they are a bad net front defense team. How many times have we seen goals where Crystal Tang or another one of those guys is just standing in front of the net? They've kind of gotten over the, you know, giving up three on ones all the time and turning the puck over and poor puck management and, you know, giving up the transition fast break. But even when they're in position, there's not much that they do. Uh, They just kind of stand there and watch and that's going to be a problem.
2: And it's awfully hard for me to buy into the notion that Jason Zucker is a cure-all.
1: I I'm right there with you. I So much you know, is you know, I almost made about like this. I, I almost like them better with Carter on Malkin's line even if they're healthy. Why's that? Because I, I think um Carter is more defensively responsible and it makes up for Malkin's uh, you know, periodic but regular lapses in judgment. And I also think Carter likes to go to the net and I can maybe take some people with him and give Malkin a little space to skate and create like he likes to do in the offensive zone. Um, I I think they're a good match. We've seen them play a little bit together out of necessity. I'd I'd do it by design, but I don't think Mike Sullivan's going to go there.
2: We're not going to be eyes glued on Rangers and Penguins because we'll be watching the Frozen Four, but looking at the line right now, and we can track it certainly, The Pens are plus one and a half on the puck line at minus 265 uh, to win their underdogs at plus 100. The Rangers at minus 115. They've got the over under set at five and a half. I might go over there, especially Shesterkin, not exactly locking things down, but then again, Mike, um, and it was Jagoriev who actually won the game against the Devils. Then again, the Penguins, they just don't get a lot of shots against the Rangers.
1: Yeah, they haven't. Uh, I think what we've seen recently, the two games that they played, it didn't give me a lot of confidence that Pittsburgh would win the postseason series if it comes to that. Now, I didn't see anything to, to suggest that that's an impossibility, but I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be an uphill climb for the Penguins, not as uphill as it would be uh, with with Carolina, and that's maybe one of the things. You know, you take a look at that Ranger schedule the rest of the way. And, uh, I I did it a couple of days ago. I didn't, uh, you know, write everything down, but my initial thought was, uh, not all that difficult and Rangers only two points behind Carolina. Um, I'll I'll say this, if I'm the penguins, I want to play the Rangers much more than I want to play Carolina in the first round. So it would really behoove the penguins. One of those games, Tim, that, you know, maybe means a little bit more to Pittsburgh than New York. Would you buy that?
2: Right, because they don't want to go into that series thinking, oh my gosh, we can't beat these guys, and they've beaten us three in a row. It's kind of like that one game they got against the Hurricanes after the Hurricanes had beaten them a couple times in a row.
1: Yeah, and they did talk about that. Um, for all the, the negativity I just spewed about the Penguins there, uh, Rangers haven't been playing great lately. They lost a couple before winning their last time out. Uh, I might be tempted to uh, – whats I don't have my laptop in front of me because I'm in Boston getting ready to go drink. Sure. Copious amounts of alcohol. What's uh, what are our penguins as an underdog to, tomorrow night
2: to win? It's plus one hundred on the puck line. It's minus two sixty five at one and a half.
1: Oh, okay, so, so, so even, money. even money. You don't get the pens at even money. You don't get the pens at even money a lot. That might be a way to go to just make it a little more interesting. Here's
2: one that could make a lot of people interested in their bank accounts, and I think it's it's probably the only baseball bet you need to bet all year. The Pirates are playing the Cardinals, and uh, Adam Wainwright is the starting pitcher for the Cardinals on Opening Day. Correct?
1: It's my understanding.
2: The Pirates run line right now is minus three and a half. Are we familiar with the numbers that Adam Wainwright put up against the Pirates last year?
1: We are, but uh, you know, kudos to you. You got to go run line in this one, right? Because Adam Adam Wainwright's going to be minus four eighty, right?
2: Cardinals minus 210.
1: Okay, that's not as bad as I thought,
2: to yeah, be honest me with
1: you. Uh, you know, openers are a little screwy by nature, but uh, hey, yeah, why not uh, Why not do both? Maybe that's uh, an interesting parlay.
2: Yeah, that could be a fun one for us to keep an eye on before face-off. But I'm telling you, if you look at Wainwright's numbers against the Pirates... Um, He's had 49, 47 times he's faced Pittsburgh. Only two teams he's played more, the Cubs and the Brewers. He's got 21 victories and 49 appearances, more than any other team that he's faced. Last year, he's 4-0 with an ERA of 0.3 against the Pirates, and he posted a 29-2 strikeout-to-walk ratio, and the Pirates only managed a 127-team batting average against him in those four outings. I love me the Cardinals, and I love Adam Wainwright on opening day.
1: You know, I think if you dig a little deeper on that, I'm not certain about this, but I think he actually had some some hits and some RBI I think well. you're right about that. I think he outscored think the Pirates. He, I think he produced about as much offense as the Pirates <laughs> did against him.
2: Last thing, Mike, uh, NFL, you keeping an eye on anything that the Steelers have been doing in terms of their quarterbacks that they're bringing in? I mean, they're bringing the South Dakota State kid in. Maybe they're still looking for like a – Brian St. Pierre kind of arm. I don't know why that would be needed, I guess just for camp or whatever to get a look at, but uh, anything jumping out at you as far as their draft uh, guys that they're bringing in or anything like that?
1: No, I mean, it's it's so hard to get a gauge on, you know, what they're thinking because they've really uh, kept that very close to the vest in recent years. And, you know, I still think Malik Willis is the guy because I think he has clearly the most upside of any of these guys, Kenny Pickett included. Now I know uh, Ritter from Cincinnati's getting a lot of buzz uh, of late, but just looking at him physically, he's not as impressive as Malik Willis is. And yeah, he won a lot of games at Cincinnati and he's a good player. And his character uh, from what everybody says is, is through the roof. And, you know, he checks all the off the field boxes. Uh, I can't see him at uh, 20th overall. And, you know, all these guys that we talk about, um, uh, you know, one of the Georgia defensive linemen or the, the linebacker from Utah, Devin Lloyd, right? Yeah. Um, somebody's going to be there at 20. I think it's going to be somebody else unless it's Willis. And now the little intriguing part of it is why did New Orleans move up uh, and, and make the deal with Philly? Um is it one to move up higher, thinking.
2: or is it because they just want to take somebody else and a quarterback? That it's the one of two, and it's probably move up higher.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know that they're in the quarterback market. I don't know that they're not, but that we can say that about six or seven teams that uh, picked before the Steelers. So, uh, I, I would envision that it's going to play out. You know, they're going to they're going to watch the board and see how how the names fall, and maybe if uh, they get in a position where they could make a deal to go get willis that's you know relatively cost-friendly i, I don't see him doing the uh, devin bush thing and going up into the top ten or anything like that um but you know if, if you move up a couple three spots if you like the guy that much maybe that's what they do if not uh there's going to be a player there for him at 20 and I, I i don't think their roster's a mess but i think they can use help just about everywhere uh you know if they don't need a starting running back uh but they they certainly need need a backup one. Uh, they need receivers. I still think they need uh, a dynamite inside linebacker because the uh, the guys they're signing are backup caliber. And Miles Jack and Devin Bush. Devin Bush is still a huge question mark, and Miles Jack's only on a two year deal. So you know there there would be nothing wrong with bringing in a stud there at a position that uh, you absolutely need to have stud players. Uh, cornerback could use some help. Still got a hole at safety, wide receiver. I guess kickers are okay, uh, and and punter they're probably committed to the guy they drafted last year. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if people are more upset with that or that Kendrick Green is still in the uh, <laughs> conversation to be a starting offensive lineman. But the point I am laboring to make is they can kind of afford to let this thing unfold the way it unfolds, and they're going to be okay either way.
2: I want to set an over-under on bars hit in Boston for us over the three days because one thing, this might be a sneaky under because I think people would assume we're going like 10, 20, something like that, 25, I don't know. But you are not a bar hopper from what I've been able to tell. You, You like the places that you like, and you will go back repeated times over the course of a weekend, stay in a place. Uh, so where would well, you say... Set- well, it
1: depends where we are, though, Tim. Yeah, I mean, I'd Boston,
2: like-, like every third door can be a bar in Haymarket or Faneuil Hall or pretty much anywhere going on the way up to, uh, to the rink. So you're right about that.
1: A few years ago in St. Paul, St. Paul has a street leading up to the arena that is basically the Carson Street of St. Paul. Ah, okay. And when they're hosting the Frozen Four, they block it off so there's no vehicular traffic. And you just bounce back and forth across the street. There's 15 places there. Um, A a factor in the over-under in this town is going to be what the setup's like on Saturday. Because in years past, uh, the NCAA has set up something for the fans. They call it the Frozen Fest or something like that. And it's basically an outdoor drinking area, but they usually have a band. And then the school's pep bands will come. And it's kind of a fun place for fans to gather. That basically eliminates Saturday afternoon from the bar over under. Now I don't know if they're going to do that here because it's so congested downtown here. I don't know if there's any room to do it around the arena. Uh, We'll find that out tomorrow, but Friday will be a big day for that because uh, Friday's wide open, no game at night. You can really do some damage on the bar over unders. If you hit the ground running Friday, about one or two o'clock
2: alcohol content and goals go over for Pursuita and Benz for the frozen four. (laughs) This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. Seth Rorba next, talking Pens. When we come back in 30 seconds, Bet Rivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back in the Pittsburgh City Cast, Yeah, uh, we'll get into hockey plenty here with Seth Rorba, as promised. But one more honey of a line, I think, to bet on for the Cardinals. Especially with Adam Wainwright on opening day on the hill for St. Louis against Pittsburgh, who he has owned. Go back and listen to those numbers I just spat out with Mike a few minutes ago. The lead after five innings. St. Louis, minus 122. Like... Who knows what can happen once it gets in the bullpens, sure. But provided they get one run after five innings, it's going to be one nothing because the Pirates aren't going to score against Wainwright. You know that. So I'd play that bet as well. Cardinals to score first and win. Yes is plus 138. Man, I like all those in favor of St. Louis. Tim Benz continuing on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Let's get back to hockey now. Seth Woroba joins us as he looks at the Penguins' loss to the Colorado Avalanche, the upcoming game against the Rangers, and the Eastern Conference playoff race, and even talks ballet. I got no numbers on that, no odds on that. Here were the odds of me and Seth talking ballet before today. About a billion to one, but we're going to do it to start our conversation about the pens here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. A writer who is so skilled that he worked a Margot Fontaine ballerina reference into a hockey column. He is Seth Rorba, our beat writer who covers the Pittsburgh Penguins here at Trib Live. Tim Benz with you as always. Seth, how long did it take you to come up with that reference for today's piece that you posted?
0: Uh, I mean, I think it probably took longer for me to convince our editors to allow me to use it uh, than it did actually for me to come up with it. Um, uh, oh, hold
2: on hold on for a second, because some of your obscure references to ex-Penguins I think are less low-hanging fruit than, say, what Margot Fontaine is. Uh,
0: <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment, I think. <laughs> um, uh, just to clue everyone in here, basically I was writing a story about Jason Zucker. As we all saw, he was injured again last week. And in the process of being injured, he ended up doing a split, basically along yes, the boards. Did. And so I was trying to think of like you know a famous ballerina uh, or ballet dancer, and I, I didn't want to go you know you know someone somewhat famous like uh, you know um, Brischnikov, or uh, you know or whoever. But so I, I just kind of googled. I literally googled famous ballerinas, and that was one that. Was somewhat famous, I guess, in the middle part of the 20th century. So I went with her.
2: If you had said Barishnikov, I think most people would have thought, "Oh yeah, that Russian guy who got hurt on a similar play for the Devils."
0: <laughs> or what was that the Myron Kope soundbite where he was talking about Najinsky or something like that? Yeah,
2: Najinsky is who he was trying to say, right? Yes, yeah. He so, was talking uh, about Rocky I... Blyer jumping up to catch that touchdown pass in Super Bowl 13 or 10. It was one of the it was one of the Cowboys' Super Bowls
0: yeah so I, I i clearly put way too much thought into finding the right one to use here uh and it took probably more thought to convince you know our uh, understanding editor bill hartlip to allow me to use it but uh but yeah that's uh I I compared uh, Jason Zucker to a mid-20th century uh, English ballerina.
2: And and very well done. I I mean, I got the reference, kind of. It took me a second because I forgot how she spelled her name. So, like, that's where I got lost a little bit. Now, what if you had done Mary Lou Retton? Because she's from West Virginia, so that counts as a local reference, doesn't it?
0: I guess I, I, I just like being obscure and I, I like, you know, I, for whatever reason be obnoxious about it where someone has to maybe uh, Google who that person is. I, I, you know, I at least put like a, a Wikipedia link to, you know, uh, to, to this reference. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's just maybe kind of a little bit of insight into my, my madness or just my silliness or my uh, stupidity, I guess.
2: Seth Rorba he is broadening our horizons on the breakfast with Ben's podcast. Uh, Seth, do we know the nature of the injury that he sustained, and to what degree has Margot Fontaine ever suffered a similar injury for going into a similar motion?
0: Uh, <laughs> well, as far as Jason Zucker goes, uh, he, you know, he and the team—they've they've mostly have avoided giving us anything uh, of, of note on that. Uh, Jason Zucker went so far as to suggest that you know this was this motion that he fell into. Uh, was probably the last thing he could have maybe prepared himself for, uh, in terms of, you know, his, his rehab coming back from, you know, the core muscle surgery that he had in uh, late January. And, um, I, I mean, and again, not to get too graphic with it, but that involves the groin muscles. And when you, when you go into a a motion like that, I I don't know that's healthy for anyone. Uh, even if they are coming off, you know, a major surgery that, that required of rehabilitation. So, um, uh, he he went so far as to suggest that it that it is you know pretty much the uh, the same part of the body he, he didn't he stopped just short of saying yeah he did re-injure it but um I, mean, I i don't think you need to be a doctor or a kinesiologist to look at that and say yeah that's possibly uh what he re-injured there so um now if he's 100% healthy i don't know but he, he seems like he's uh, willing to pay, play through it whatever he's he's dealing with here and he he's shown mm-hmm. that in the past I, um if you recall in game six against the islanders uh you know last spring here um he suffered a pretty ugly looking leg injury in that game in the first period and it kind of had to be helped off the ice um uh even to get to the dressing room by teammates and stuff like that and you know we thought okay he's done but all of a sudden he came off of the second period and played some pretty inspired hockey albeit in a losing cost so um there's some toughness there there's some metal to him um in terms of playing through stuff i mean it's maybe seems like a a silly thing to say just given um you know the frequent injuries he does have or has you know dealt with here but um i I suspect he probably plays through a lot of things that maybe otherwise aren't uh, documented as well as maybe this injury has has been so um i'm not necessarily surprised that jason zucker's back on the ice but um uh, at the same time too just how that fall or that tumble looked uh, visually uh from thursday it's 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 um somewhat surprising i guess just based on the uh, the visual evidence or the visual uh you know uh, uh, what happened there i guess
2: is he pissed at fiala
0: um he didn't really want to get into it i i flat out asked him you know if he had any issue with the hit or an issue with fiala and he just simply said I, he had no comments so Um, that would lead me to believe he's not happy with some, something there. Um, I don't, I know they were teammates for a few years there in Minnesota. I don't know if they were close or, or, or what, but, um, it was something, uh, Jason Zucker just did not want to get into at all on Wednesday.
2: So is he going to play against the Rangers?
0: I would suspect so. I mean, he, he was a full participant in practice on uh, Wednesday here. Um, you know, skated on the, on the second line there with Evgeny Malkin and Ricard Raquel. Uh, And that was the line he played on in Minnesota before he got injured. In fact, they they scored the game's first goal. uh, You know, what, I think like a minute six into regulation in that game, you know, with Jason Zucker making kind of a a crafty play off the boards there to set up John Marino for a point shot that Raquel tipped in for for a goal there. So um, now everything seems to be pointing towards uh, Jason Zucker making uh, a full return here for what's turning out to be a really vital game, I guess, the New York Rangers here.
2: And I want to get back to that in a second. Final thought on Zucker, though, is this. For as much as the theory of who he was supposed to be when he was first acquired by the Penguins, which never has really manifested due to injury or ineffectiveness since he came on board from the wild, I think it also speaks, Seth, to the need for him to play and at least be effective because then you can set the rest of the lineup more accordingly to where the talent fits, i.e., it appears that then Carter can get back with Kapanen and do so comfortably because Kapanen seems to be play better with Carter. And if you've got Boyle playing on a wing with Bluger, that seems to be a better option than Bluger getting moved up and Boyle playing center on a fourth line.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing I, I'll say about Jason Zucker is, yeah, I, I think he gets kind of overlooked as far as when he came here for the Penguins. He was supposed to be a, a replacement for Jake Gensel, at least in the immediate sense. That was when Jake Gensel suffered that ugly, ugly shoulder injury. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, towards the end, end of the new year, there around 2019, and, and you know, a few weeks later, they brought in Jason Zucker, and he played really well on that top line with Sidney Crosby. And, and hey, no doubt, know, you play well when, when Sidney Crosby's your center. But um, that's really been the only time he's shown sustained production uh as a member of the penguins and um and again hey you know if if the constellation prize is to play with Evgeny Malkin you know boo hoo. I mean that's that's a that's a that's a fate I think any NHL winger would, would 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 love to be cursed with but um again he just hasn't found you know nearly the same chemistry that he showed in that first month or so uh that he did with Sidney Crosby before the pandemic shut everything down and you know you know kind of ruined a lot of plans around the world not just necessarily how the penguins want to use their top six wingers so um as far as what he produces or can can contribute i think we saw a little bit of it there in that game in minnesota i would have liked to see what he might have been able to do you know with some more sustained playing time there but um him being there really i think helps again to your point that you made there like I, I think it helps create a little, you know, or allows, you know, there'd be a little bit more balance. There. I mean, you don't have Jeff Carter playing the right wing there and, you know, um, you know, really limiting what you can do with your third and fourth lines. There was kind of a trickle down effect there where Jeff Carter was on the right wing of the second line. So you, okay you move Teddy Bluger up to the third line and you just kind of piece together whatever you can for a fourth line there. So um, there's a substantial, I mean, Jason Zucker, again, I wouldn't dare say he's one of their most, you know, five important players on the team or even five important forwards, but, um, there's a, a trickle-down effect in terms of how it helps create some balance or allows there to be more balance, I guess, throughout the lineup going down to the third and fourth line. So uh, provided he's able-bodied, it, uh, I, I think he helps in a variety of ways, uh, you know, not just necessarily with um, what he can do as far as being an offensive producer. I think, like you said, just I think it helps create balance uh, through all four lines.
2: If the Rangers beat the Penguins, it'll be three in a row in favor of the Rangers against the Pens. They will then be, let's see here, uh, six points up on Pittsburgh. And depending on what happens to Washington and Tampa at the time of our recording, which is Wednesday night before those teams play on Wednesday, uh, it's entirely possible that the Capitals could be just as close to the Pens as the Pens then would be to the Rangers What's this saying about where the state of the Penguins are or of the state of the Penguins right now, Seth, as it relates to the Eastern Conference and the Metro Division? Uh, Well, I mean,
0: it says they're probably not, uh, it says they're probably closer to the bottom of the playoff teams than they are at the top there. I think, you know, Carolina's, you know, at this point, is maybe all but wrapped up, uh, you know, first place in the division here. And and it wasn't too long ago that, you know, maybe there, there were serious considerations as far as, uh, the Penguins challenging Carolina for the first spot but that doesn't seem like that's going to happen barring anything uh, cataclysmic on the on the hurricane side of things so um, as far as the, you know them maybe creeping down and you know switching spots with Washington I, I suppose that's still possible um, for me in Washington I mean we know what they're about you know they're they're a heavy team they're a team that likes to score and everything like that we know what Alex Ovechkin Tom Wilson Nick Baxter can do but um, to me, it just comes down for that team, the goaltending. I, I just don't think that's a that, that, that goaltending duo, whether it's uh, Vitek Vanisek or Ilya um, are are consistent enough or stable enough to really uh, help push them up into maybe that second or third uh, place in the division. Again, you know, something cataclysmic can happen to any, any team here, and you can see a tumble. But um, presuming everyone's healthy, I just don't have enough faith in the Capitals' goaltending for them to. Uh, really challenge um, uh, you know Pittsburgh or even New York uh, for second or third place in the division, uh, and that's going to be a problem going into the playoffs for Washington as well. But um, the Penguins can certainly still screw this up. I mean, if they don't uh, you know you know you, see, you saw some of the, the 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 bad moments that led the goals you know playing against the Colorado Avalanche. Um, if they don't button some of those things up, they can really kind of you know you know screw up some of their own designs here and you know and take a tumble in the standings. But um, I still think, you know, barring anything cataclysmic, it's going to be, you know, Pittsburgh, New York. You know, you know, you can figure out who's second, who's third uh, in the first round of the playoffs.
2: Let's get to that next, Seth, the Colorado game. The Avalanche win 6-4, to four, and as you said, there were mistakes that were made that the Avalanche definitely capitalized upon. The problems that manifested in the two games against the Avs, those back-to-back losses against the best team in hockey, how many of those problems that the Avalanche exploited were specifically related to just how good the abs are and how much of what you saw that related to the two defeats were penguin specific problems that would be issues against, you know, the Blackhawks, Canadian Senators or any of the dregs of the NHL too?
0: Yeah, I mean, if the Penguins had played that same exact game against a bad team I, I think it's a different result, you know, meaning the penguins win and they, they probably don't give up six goals. So let's put it that way. At least, um, you know, Colorado's a really good team. And, you know, I, I say that while acknowledging too, they're, they're missing some pretty big players and, you know, Gabriel Landis got their captain, uh, Nazem Kadri is their leading scorer. Um, they were still able to kind of put up six goals because the penguins while missing some pretty major players. I, you know, I don't know. There's many teams in the league that can, can say that, let alone some of those teams that you suggested there. So, even if the penguins play kind of a middle of the road team like say like i don't know the boston bruins or whoever um i don't know that you get that same uh result if the penguins play that same exact game so um and then you look at some of the underlying numbers the penguins did pretty well in terms of like zone time and puck possession and uh some of the advanced metrics really complemented the penguins well uh, not just in, in um uh tuesday's game but saturday's game uh, which was a 3-2 loss at colorado so um, the Penguins professed that they were pretty happy with how they played for the most part. They acknowledged that they made some mistakes at the you know, with with puck possession and uh, or puck management, I should say, and um, just had some breakdowns at key moments that the Avalanche just, you know, they're just so skilled that they were able to kind of exploit. But um, no, I mean, the Penguins, I, I think there was a, quite a bit to like just in terms of how they played, I and mean, certainly the result wasn't appetizing if you're a Penguin fan. But um you, know, you look at that game and, you know, if they cut down on some of those mistakes, you know, maybe it's a different result you know, at the same time, too. You know, if if some butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a nice Christmas. So um, it, just, it just strikes me as a as a, you know, maybe it's a terrible analogy, but it almost struck me as like the Penguins were are like a six, seven guy playing basketball, trying to dunk on a seven foot one guy. Yeah, like they have the skill and everything like that do that to do a lot of things, but you know, the care, the, the Colorado Avalanche, maybe are a team that um, just have a little bit more than them. And they can probably do a little bit more uh, with mistakes that they're afforded uh, than most teams are. And I, I think that was the difference in how this game played out on Tuesday.
2: What is your favorite candy and nut combination? If, if, and buts were candy and nuts.
0: Uh, I guess Snickers. That was, that was one of my dad's favorite candy bars. And I think I kind of, Thought, got that from him. So uh, Snickers seems like a pretty generic uh, choice, but uh, it always seems like a pretty reliable choice.
2: I've fallen in love in recent years with Payday. I really love Payday bars, and that makes me bland and boring, I understand, but it's kind of like a Snickers, and I don't necessarily need the chocolate.
0: I my After my freshman year of college, I worked at Kennywood uh, in one of the game stands. It was the football toss near the Gold Rush. and They did this like uh, the management there wanted to kind of boost our spirits I guess or whatever so they did this random drawing of uh, allegedly whoever had the like the best service or something like that and uh, like the one day I, I was chosen or something I got like one like 50, a $50 bill and like a, a payday candy bar that's like my wow. experience with, with
2: with a payday oh you can give me the payday and keep your 50 bucks and I'd be happy <laughs> before we go Seth I want to wrap up with this the Rangers and their performance since they last played the Pens they're two and two in their last four games, and those four games. Let me see if I can bring this up here because just lost it. I was looking up paydays. Uh, Flyers, Devils, <laughs> Islanders, and Red Wings are the four teams that they played since they beat the Penguins three to two. They beat the Red Wings five four. They beat the Devils three to one. They lost the Flyers four to three. I think that was in a shootout, and the Islanders shut them out three to nothing. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't Shosturkin who was in goal right against the Devils. It was Georgiev. Uh, so with that being said, uh, what do we think about the Rangers? They're having some struggles too of late, huh? Yeah, I mean, they're, they've dealt they've with the one notable injury there, Ryan
0: Strom. I know he's nothing great. He's not an all-star, but he's you know their second-line center and I, I think he helps button th- some things up for them. Almost kind of like the way uh, Jason Zucker does for the Penguins, where if he's absent, uh, th- there's maybe a triple-down effect. So they were without him. Even going back to the, the, the uh, most recent game against the Penguins, he was out of the lineup and they still won that game, but I, I think there were some maybe trickle down effects in terms of their lineup and, and being a player that they missed there and, and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, and to your um, point,
2: he comes back and scores against the Devils and they win. So there you go. Yeah, yeah.
0: so he's back in the lineup. He's just, uh, presumably able bodied, so I, I think that helps stabilize some things there for them. Um, uh, as far as you know, I, you know Shostarkin and you know, Georgiev. Uh, you know, I mean Shostarkin's the guy there, and I, I think he's. And you know, we've talked about this before. I think he's maybe maybe hit a bit of a wall here, but, uh, you know, again, he's going through, you know, uh, time as a fir- as a starter in the NHL for the first time in his career, he's reached a career high in games here. I think at any professional level, if I'm correct. Um, and, uh, you know, again, there's, there's something to be said there for, for dealing with like, the, I guess the mental strain of that. So, um, he's going through that. And I, I, you know, I would suspect he probably will, you know, get his game back in order, you know, come playoff time. Uh, uh but um no i mean they've dealt with a couple injuries here as well like any other teams like much like the penguins and i think you saw maybe a little bit that they're in the um some of their sputtering here sputtering here as of late so uh that said i i really don't know that, that they're going to necessarily look all that different compared to how we've seen them i guess the penguins in the three previous games i, I think you'll see a, a pretty disciplined effort by the rangers there and uh um the penguins if they want to get a win here if they want to you know have uh you know put up some goals here they're going to have to earn it. I mean I don't know if they're going to get any easy soft goals against Starkin or the way the rangers have played defense against them. So um again I think it's going to be a pretty tight uh, defensive game barring any kind of just uh, ugly performance like we saw in Manhattan by the by the penguins here a few weeks ago.
2: What did you do at Kennywood?
0: Um, I worked, like I said, I worked at the football toss, uh, which, uh, it's near the gold rush. Like
2: they didn't move you around. Like you didn't do the football toss one day and then the jackrabbit the next day. You just kind of did one gig.
0: You either, when you worked at Kennywood, at least back then you, you either were put into like the food operations, the game operations or the, uh, or the ride operations. And you, you didn't move between the three areas. I somehow got into the games uh i think the first month i worked there, i worked at like that short range basketball hoop that was near the racer uh and someone left and so they moved me over to the football toss and that's where i spent the last like three or two and a half months of the summer uh there at just like the most obnoxious uh i think portion of the park where everyone thought they were damn marino and just had to chuck the ball as hard as they could through the tire and um, and it just, uh, it, it was not a fun job. Let's put it that way. Did
2: you ever see a quarterback of any repute come through and actually try to win the contest?
0: I actually saw, I remember there was a guy who had three fingers on his throwing hand and I'm not trying to make fun of him. You know, whatever happened to him, you know, you know, you know, you know I don't want to make fun of it, but he came up there with three fingers on his throwing arm and like put him through the tire every single time. Like he was perfect. <laughs>
2: Was his first name uh, Mordecai? Was it Mordecai <laughs> Three Fingers Brown?
0: I don't know. I Again, like, it was...
2: And we had a rule there, too.
0: Like, you could only win, like, three times in a day or something like that. And he came back, like, a fourth time, and, like, uh, I said, dude, there's a the rule there. And like, and, like, he's like, how do you know I was here? I'm like,
2: I don't want to say, but it's pretty distinctive, you know? <laughs> you know who um, needs to hear this story is Kenny Pickett. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this guy. He wins at Kennywood with only three fingers, and you're worried about an eighth of an inch on my thumb to my pinky for crying out loud this guy needs to be this guy needs to be introduced into the kenny pickett discussion somehow yeah so i uh
0: he got really mad at me and threatened to get me fired or whatever and i just like all right whatever dude that's probably never came back i
2: I guarantee you that's why you won the payday and the 50 bucks
0: it might have been it might have been but uh did you master uh,
2: the football toss yourself
0: yeah, that was honestly when i played pickup football and i was still like able-bodied 20 in my 20s and stuff like that we you play flag football or pickup football i was i was easily the best uh uh tightest spiral i ever threw in my uh my pickup football career it was after that summer so
2: so would mike um, tomlin look at you and say quarterback mobility Seth Rorba?
0: <laughs> if he was being very charitable yes
2: <laughs> Seth Rorba. uh thanks for joining us Seth and we'll talk to you next week all right
0: Anytime, Tim. All
2: right. And uh, check out all of Seth's writing, including sometimes about ballet, over at Trib Live. All right. So, my thanks to Seth Rorba, My thanks to Mike Pursuta. Can't wait for the Frozen Four this weekend. Keep an eye on the lines as they move. We're off for the rest of the week because I will be in Boston. We'll recap it next week with Mike. And, of course, we'll have Madden Monday on Monday of this week, too. This is the Pittsburgh City cast.